AA Beyond Belief is a podcast by, for, and about people who have found a secular path to sobriety in Alcoholics Anonymous. When our group had to move our meetings online because of the coronavirus pandemic, I was concerned that the group might not hold together. Not everyone likes online meetings, and in fact, I've found that the attendance of the meetings has dropped a bit since we've had to go online. However, there have been some silver linings behind the clouds. There's been some positive benefits to going online, and one of those being that I've been able to meet our guest for this episode, David S., He's from the KC metro area, but a little too far away for our meeting place to attend our in-person meetings. But since going online, he's been a regular. And as I got to know a little bit about him, I wanted to know more. So today he's here and you will have the pleasure of getting to know him too. Hello, David. Welcome to AA Beyond Belief. Hello. Thank you for inviting me to be part of your podcast. I'm really looking forward to this. Oh, it's nice to have you here. So I guess you've listened to a couple of episodes, so you kind of know what we do here. Um, as I as I told you earlier, it'll be you sharing your story, and then I'll be interrupting you with rude comments and <laughs> along the way. But um, it would be interesting to know your background. Um, so maybe we can just follow our standard AA formula a little bit. If you could go through your story, uh, you know, when did you start drinking? You know, when did it interfere with your life? What was it like, Dave? Well, before we get started, I do have one question. Do yes. I have to be wearing pants? You do not have to wear pants. Oh, good. good to know. <laughs> you do not have okay. to wear pants. I'll, I'll be right back. Okay. <laughs> I started drinking actually late in life. I was, uh, I, I was raised uh, without drink in the house. I started drinking a little bit, but it was uh, late, uh, late 70s when I started drinking, and I found out that it was magical. And uh, it took care of all my worries. I was, at that point, we had moved to Kansas City, and I was working in a, a liquor store, a, a store that sold beer and wine. And occasionally there would be a, an accident in the cooler, and one of the cans of beer would get damaged. And so they would put it aside, and there was this box of what we called bent beer. And they said, if you want, just take one of those, and, and uh, you can take that home because we can't sell it. So I started doing that, and uh, that was my second job. So when I got home, I was tired, and man, that, that beer really hit the spot. And then I started doing it more and more frequently, and then with more and more quantity. And pretty soon it was uh, uh, every night and weekends, and uh, it, was, it always worked until one time it didn't. I was at a company picnic, and a, a beer truck pulled up to the picnic. Now, when I say a beer, it wasn't a truck with cans or bottles of beer. It was a truck that had a giant keg on the back and spigots on the side. And you could just walk up and help yourself. So that bad boy pulled up to the, to the picnic. And I said, well, here's an interesting challenge. <laughs> Let's see if we can empty this thing. So I don't remember driving home. I don't remember anything the rest of the day. Apparently, in a blackout, I had gone and bought 
more alcohol. I bought a, a, a jug of wine, which I, I don't recall. And I woke up the next morning and I said to my wife, uh, I think I have a problem. Actually, she reminded me that the first thing I said was, where are the kids? Because at this company picnic, I had all three kids with me. Oh, wow. Yeah. And the second thing I said was, I think I have a problem. Wow. And uh, yeah, I, I, had, I have since asked my daughter, my oldest daughter, uh, how I did driving home. And she said, well, you stayed between the lines most of the time. Wow. I said, oh, oh, poor thing. That's yeah. good. That's good. I did. <laughs> that that's, reminds me of how I drank. Um, I, I would also black out. And uh, I would uh, have, for me, it was um, the next day I was like paranoid that I had done something really awful and that people had seen me and that um, I would be discovered at work was always the thing for me. So, I, I man, I can totally relate to that feeling. And so you had that experience of, oh gosh, I guess the fear of, you know, you're um, being out of control, putting your, your family at risk and you realize that was it. Yes. And it was very, very scary. Uh, fortunately in the neighborhood, we knew a couple, both of whom were in AA. And uh, so uh, the, the wife, Barbara, was able to help <clears throat> my wife get into Al-Anon and also help me get into AA. So she was pivotal in our success right from the beginning. So I just, I just remember within, within 10 days of you know, vowing never to drink again, I was out in the yard doing yard work and it was, a, it, was a hot, it was a hot day and I was sweating. And I finally finished up all the chores and I looked up and I said, man, wouldn't five or six beers taste good right now? And I said, that may be alcoholic thinking. Most guys would just say, wouldn't a beer taste good right now? And I was thinking, maybe wouldn't a six-pack taste good right now? So, yeah, I had, uh, I had all the symptoms. I started going to AA, and they described uh, the symptoms of the disease, and I had them. There was, there was very little doubt in my mind. What did you think of that first AA meeting? Well, the first, the very first one was a smoking meeting. I got there late, had to leave early because I had trouble breathing and I was getting a headache. What group was it? That was uh, North, uh, North Kansas. Uh, I know the group. I, I actually used to go to that group a lot in my early days. Seriously, they're above a bar. That's right. <laughs> above a bar. So every time you go to that meeting, you can either go left or right. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, there's probably been a few people that walked in the wrong door. <laughs> Too bad. Yeah. It's, it's every time it's a decision. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I couldn't. They said, don't let the door hit you on the ass on the way out. So I didn't. And, um, then I found out that was the reason that Barbara had suggested that group was that that's the one she went to. Turns out there was an AA hall within like a mile and a half of where we lived. Yeah. And so not wanting to be late again, I got there like a half hour early, you know, because I thought, well, I better get, I better go now. So I just sat around for a half hour. And that was Park Hill, the Park Hill group. Very welcoming, very uh, comforting, very open. And uh, I just uh, started going there and, and basically have not stopped. I've gone to meetings all over the place, but I keep coming back to my home group. That's cool. How long has it been, Dave? 
I've been I sobered up in uh, August of '83. Oh my goodness! Yeah, so it's been a couple of days. The uh, I'm coming up on I think if I'm doing the arithmetic right, my 37th AA anniversary is coming up. Oh, couple months. Hello. Oh, okay. On you. Yeah. So I had when I came in, I did that was not my intent. I didn't intend to stay sober for 37. No, <laughs> I didn't either. <laughs> I started in '88. Oh, good for you. Yeah, and they were also smoking at that time. I, they didn't stop smoking until what? Was it the late 90s or the early 2000s? <laughs> it was a long time. And they went kicking and screaming. They did not want to stop smoking. Oh, yeah. At Park Hill, <laughs> there was a splinter group that is still smoking. In fact, we call their group, uh, their nickname is the Smokehouse. Because <laughs> <laughs> you go and there's just billows of smoke pouring Oh, out. God, I know. I know. I don't, I don't know how we did it, actually. I mean, I used to go to P3 and the... Um, Oh, the smoke was like a heavy fog that would just yeah. hang in the room. I mean, it, seriously, everything was, a, it was very foggy, but, and, and then I would smell, I probably smelled like I was in a bar, you know, wherever I went. You know? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I've been like that in the basement of a church where as the meeting went on, the cloud would start lowering. <laughs> You'd look up and here it comes. Oh, one group started a fire in their church and then the church threw them out. <laughs> Do you remember that? No. Yeah, no. it was. Uh, oh, I can't remember. The, it was Bill's friends. Yeah, they used to meet um, at a church. Um, anyway, so listeners, you're getting a lot of local flavor here, <laughs> talking about our groups in KC. But so you know, Dave. Um, so you found our group as a as a secular group. Did you have? Did you have, or do you have any issues with the with just the nature of the steps and the language of AA? And have you noticed any change in it over time? Yeah, the uh, the language the language did not really become an issue until recently. Um, the and the the uh, I had started I had been to a couplier couple of a couple a couplier a couplier of secular meetings a couple of secular meetings uh, because I was interested and uh, as far as I could tell it was the same you know I go I don't go to get religion you know. I go to stay sober. So that was, you know, mission accomplished. But uh, Carmen Xavier is the one who really got me more interested. And the pandemic has been a, a, a godsend. Right. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. An opportunity for me to go to more secular meetings. So it's, it really has met a need. The, uh, in fact, I'm, I'm one of these people that uh, is reluctant to mention that I'm an agnostic or atheist at a regular AA meeting because yeah. I think it's, uh, it really, would, I think, serves no purpose. Right. Because that's not why they're there. Um, but I just feel right at home in a secular meeting. And the, the one thing that saved my bacon was uh, my very first AA meeting where I had a, a, a woman who had been sober a long, long time, I think five years at the time. <laughs> anyway. And her nickname was Mother Superior because she would just lay down the law and there was really, you couldn't argue with her. So it was, so at my very first meeting, uh, Mother Superior said, don't worry about the God shit. Okay. There you go. So I said, yes, ma'am. And I saluted and moved off smartly. Well, they told me that early on, too. They told me not to get too hung up on that, that, you know, my higher power quote could be whatever I wanted it to be. And they just encouraged me to go to meetings. And, um, you know, it really wasn't until 
I got into uh, P3 and the big book that the it, that it got a little bit more um, a little bit more regimented, I guess. But if that's the right word to use, but what what is it that happened recently that that made it, or is there anything that happened recently that caused you to maybe have a little issue with the language? Well, a couple of things. One, uh, I worked for a company that had a subsidiary in Singapore. And uh, Singapore is a very cosmopolitan city with all kinds of, uh, uh, you know, races and cultural backgrounds and religions. And so at their AA meetings, they don't close with the Lord's Prayer. They close with the Serenity Prayer. And I said, hmm, now that you mention it, that is a Christian prayer. Certainly not a prerequisite to be a Christian, to be an alcoholic by any stretch. So that was the first chink in the armor. And then uh, the other thing was that uh, I always felt well, there was a guy at a meeting one time who made, made a comment about uh, worshiping false gods. And I said, how can that even be if everybody comes in with their own concept of God? How can there possibly be any false gods? That just makes no sense whatsoever. And that was that, I think that was the final straw when I, when I realized that I had just been putting up with these um, comments that, you know, I prayed to God and my car started people. Uh, I'd just been tolerating them for a long time. And that was, I, that's the one, the comment that really started me thinking. It's like, what, what, what am I doing? And the, the thing that appeals to me about the, uh, the agnostics and free thinkers meeting is that uh, you don't start by reading the traditions. You don't. Uh, How it works. Yeah. You, yeah. You, you've modified. Yeah. And uh, it's just, it's, it's, it freed me up. It freed me up to say anything I wanted and to express my doubts and, uh, you know, not be worried about, having somebody pull me aside at the end of the meeting and said, which is it? Either God is all or God is nothing. I said, no, no, no. There's, there's actually a third path. My God, good orderly direction. You know, you can be a good person and not have to, and that not have a deity. You know, those things are not, uh, you know, those things can be mutually exclusive. At P3, they would read how it works, but the group did have a pretty good sense of humor. So at, at, during the time, and it was for me way into my sobriety when I realized I was an atheist. And I started kind of, I started really kind of figuring this program out in a secular way, a very practical approach to it. And a lot of people at P3 didn't really have a problem with it. And and when they would read how it works, I would increase, it would increasingly bother me more and more and more. But then I started um, reciting back to it. So when they'd get to the part that would say, there is one who has all power, that one is God. May you find him now. And I would always say, or not. <laughs> they say that, and they put up with it. They would, you know, people would laugh and everything. It was not, it was not, you know, it, that I could get away with stuff like that. But what kind of started bothering me a little bit is, um, I would sometimes directly contradict some of the things in the twelve and twelve that specifically addressed atheism and so forth that I thought was wrong, and I did insist that I didn't need any sort of a higher power. And I think that that language is kind of just people didn't quite understand what I was talking about. You know, I could call my higher power something else. I could call it the group, but 
anyway, um, that's, that's when I realized I needed to go start this, this group, we agnostics. Yeah. But, but I didn't have any, it wasn't like any, I didn't have any anger or animosity towards the group when I left. It was just, no, that was, just, mm-mm. I'm, I'm the same. That was never, I, I didn't leave in a huff. No, you know? no, I didn't either. You know, there's only a very few people that ever gave me a problem. And a lot of the problem may have been my own imagination, to be honest with you. You know, my perception of what they, of what people might have been thinking. Right. Because once you open that door, or once I opened the door, I started noticing people making these comments about God that really did not jive at all. And, uh, yeah, so no, I did not leave in a in anger. You know, he arrived in a Chevrolet and left in a huff. <laughs> yeah. No, like not like the smokers. You know, they stormed out. Oh, they did. That that was like a civil war at P three. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't anything like that. It was uh, more of a gradual. And then uh, one at a meeting one time, a guy said, "My God has skin," meaning he relied his the group. Oh, that makes skin. sense. Yeah. And I said, that makes a lot of sense to me because I always came out of a meeting feeling better than when I went into the meeting. And uh, it was that, so it was magic for me. Yeah, I still do. And when I go to the online meetings, I, f- I feel the same way. You know, I, I do miss the face-to-face meetings, but I have to admit when I go to the online meetings, I leave with a smile generally. There's, there's, I usually have a good feeling about me when I, when I leave those meetings. And it's nice to see people. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, No no question. Yeah. I I love the online meetings. Yeah. So let's talk about your recovery a little bit. Um, I'm sure, you know, like, you know, you've been around for so long that it has probably evolved and changed over time. Absolutely. And uh, well, early on, uh, I would pray a lot. You know, they said, get on your knees, put your shoes under your bed. See, in the morning, you have to get on your knees and pray to get and, And then while you're down there getting your shoes. And I did all the things they recommended. They said, uh, pray to a doorknob. I did that one time. Oh, really? They, they <laughs> express your anger at God. And I did. And, it, you know, it's a horrible feeling, but it got it out. And uh, so I basically was a, a good, good soul, good Marine. I, they told me to do something, I'd do it. I'm what the medical profession calls compliant. You know, they'll tell me, they'll tell me to do something and I'll do it. One time I, I broke my ankle. And they said, uh, put it in a cast. They said, don't put any weight on it. So I didn't. I hobbled around and would go up and down the stairs on my butt and do all you know, to avoid putting weight on it. And uh, I forget, maybe three weeks later, a couple weeks later, they came and changed the cast. And they said, did you put any weight on it? And I said, well, one time I tripped and fell on a uh, going in a door, and I may have put some weight in on it on my way down unintentionally. And they said, that's it? I said, well, you told me. <laughs> They said, well, you told me not to. I said, they said, yeah, but nobody does. <laughs> so, you know, basically I'm pretty good at following instructions. So, uh, yeah, they, they would tell me to do things and I would. But uh, it's only very recently that I felt comfortable getting off of that, uh, the standard AA path into the agnostics. And uh, it's actually I've been hard. Oh, the other thing I wanted to mention was uh, – the Lord's Prayer at the end. The only part of the Lord's Prayer that I say is the middle, the middle third, because the first third and the last third are dogma. Our Father, eh, who art in heaven, eh, you know, uh, is it a father or is it a mother or is it or is it without gender? Is there a heaven? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, 
forgive us our trespasses. Okay, that's that's where I, I pick up the thread. So that's the only part of the Lord's Prayer I've been t- saying for. That has been going on a long, long time. Well, you have to say, you know, even the Lord's Prayer. I mean, I, I'm a total atheist, and I, I, I have a natural view of the world, but there, I— I do see some good things. I mean, there's some, there's a, some, there's a positive sentiment in the prayer. I don't think that it belongs in an AA meeting, but yeah, I mean, what's wrong with um, forgiving others as they forgive you? I think that's a good, sure, good way to live. Oh, like I mentioned earlier, good orderly direction. Uh, one time at a meeting, a guy said he lived in the country, and between the meeting and his house was a uh, a stop sign for him. And no, uh, he lived out in the country, and it was. Plitz, you know, black, black, dark when he went home. Uh, so he knew if there were any other cars coming. But if he didn't see any, any headlights, instead of running the stop sign, he would stop and then, you know, continue on his way. And he said that he did that every time as a reminder to himself for good orderly direction. And I took that to heart. And then uh, I mentioned that to uh, one of my good friends in AA. Charlotte, that the good orderly direction is my uh, concept of God. And then she went off. She said, oh, no, no, you're a very godly person. You take people to meetings. You visit the people that are shut in. You do so. You're a very godly person. And uh, to which I responded, you know, Charlotte lies. <laughs> she lies like a rug. She lies about her weight. She lies about her height. She'll lie about stuff just to keep in practice. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, but so you can you can still be a good person uh, without a, without faith, without a uh, specific set of beliefs. So in your early days, you went through the program just as probably they suggested that probably at your group as it did at mine. Um, you probably used the big book, had a sponsor, kind of went through the steps and all that. Yeah, I've used actually the 12 and 12 for my four-step. It has like two pages of nothing but questions. So I put a question at the top of the page and then would try to answer it. And sometimes I filled half a page and sometimes several pages. Yeah, that's not a so, bad format, really. And, and you know, um, some people don't realize there are the two ways of doing it. You've got the big, well, anyway, you, you can do it any way you want to or not do it yeah. at all. But, yeah, you've got the 12 and 12 and you've got the, the big book. I did the big book way where you list your resentments and so forth. Uh-huh. Yeah, either way. And the thing that, that occurred to me recently is that uh, after you do step five, you're supposed to go home and do steps six and seven. The thing is, in the big book, step six and seven is like a paragraph. I know. So I went home. They said, okay, read the next section of the big book. So, you know, good little Marine. I saluted and moved out smartly. Went home, read the next paragraph, and at the end of the and the, the following the paragraph after that, it says, "Now having taken step seven, and I said, "Whoa, <laughs> wait, time out, holding Green Bay, ten yards. <laughs> what just happened? That just it just blew by me." And I said, "Okay, let's do step eight, and let's get going here." Uh, yeah, so that was I, that one kind of snuck up on me. I, I'm glad it did because I, that would have been a huge hang-up for me. Oh yeah, you know that it's funny. I think it's actually a hang-up for everybody, um, even those who might actually have a belief. Um, because I, I and I've said this a million times on this podcast that anytime I would ten, attend a meeting where the discussion was step six and seven, 
invariably, more than a couple of people would say, well, God just hasn't removed my character defects yet. <laughs> you know, it just, it, you know, it's like, that was always the it, you know, it's like, it was like they, they asked God to do it, but he just didn't do it. You know, they still had these character defects, but they're working on them. Um, but what I find interesting now, those steps actually six and seven, when I really think about them, those are really important steps for me now, because for me, it, I take a real practical look at them where, these are the steps where I really start working on things about me that I've learned that I want to change, that I want to improve on. You know, this is where I'm seeking help, outside help. This is where I'm working on improving just as a human being. Right. That's something we all do. I, the, the thing that, uh, yes, and comment on that. The, uh, in the big book, it says, yeah, we know but a little. And uh, so... I have, I have, have I gone to counseling? Yes. Have I, do I use antidepressants? Yes. Uh, somebody said, uh, uh, something about don't be so open-minded your brains fall out. You know, don't, don't be, don't be taking this stuff, uh, without a grain of salt. So yes, I have sought outside help. Don't feel bad about that one bit. Uh, the AA, the AA program, uh, opened the door for me for other possibilities. So I will always be grateful for them for saving my, my marriage, saving my uh, relationship with my children, saving my life, saving my job, uh, everything. I have everything. to agree. It, it, me opening me up to these wonderful opportunities. I now do stand up comedy. I know. I want I've to always, talk about that. I've always been a smart ass. In fact, my brother said, uh, uh, one day your mouth will write a check your body can't cash. Mm. <laughs> and uh, so far it hadn't happened. So so when did I, you get into comedy? Well, I've always been silly. I was a teacher and I would teach using jokes. And it's because I was teaching math and statistics. So I used it to kind of take the the fear out of the room. And uh, the uh, when, I, when uh, my wife uh, came down with Alzheimer's, uh, I was able to care for her for for several years before it got to the point where I could could no longer. And she went into the nursing home. And my son, bless his heart, has uh, had taken up stand up comedy. And he said, "Dad, you should come over and do an open mic." And I said, "Yeah." So I will always be grateful to my son for introducing me to to stand up comedy, and uh, I liked it and uh, got some laughs. So that has been, uh, it's been therapy. It's been a distraction uh, while my wife continued to, uh, to go down that, uh, that path, Alzheimer's. Because uh, once you have it, yeah, that's it. You either, one, one lady said, one counselor said, you either die with it or from it. It does not go away. Uh, so once you start going down that path, uh, that, uh, comedy became uh, a wonderful release wonderful release for me yeah it's um it's really an art form isn't it oh absolutely yeah and and, and see an open mic you can say anything you want absolutely anything uh because it's art i mean you can't restrict can't restrict art it's free expression yeah Yeah. i um i've interviewed a couple of comedians and um i sometimes i I'm, i'm just intrigued by comedy because it's um, I had a sponsor who, you know, who was a comedian 
and I saw him perform a few times and his he's always kind of a funny guy. I mean, he he has a good sense of humor and everything just in his regular normal life. But when he was on stage, he's also funny, but in a different way. It was like, you know, you could really see the performance. You could really see the effort that he put into it, the the focus that he put into it to that to that act. And so I really can appreciate just that there's a lot of um a lot a lot of serious thought goes into comedy. It's not like just as natural as just being you, is it? The difference between uh, being silly and being a stand-up comedian is being silly, you can just uh, be extemporaneous and just stay safe stuff that occurs to you. But if you perform, you have to, I have to work on that concept, that silly concept, and shape it and mold it and change the wording and change the sentences around until it's funny start to finish. Let me see. I'm trying to think of an example of that. Uh, oh, it's the one about the, the I was, I was out walking one day and I saw uh, a symbol that had been drawn by one of the utility companies on the sidewalk where they're going to be putting in, I don't know, streetlights or something. I don't know. And I said, man, that looks like a gang symbol. So I had this funny thought, and I have finally, you know, after, I don't know, two months, I finally had that down to a, a 30 seconds of comedy. But it, it took that amount of time to mold it and move stuff around and change the wording until I felt real comfortable uh, with that little bit. Would you uh-huh. like to hear? Yeah, please do. All right. So when I was a teenager, I was in a gang. They, we called ourselves the Electrical Workers Union 412. <laughs> Our gang color was bright orange. <laughs> we would wear hard hats backwards because we were rebels. Right. <laughs> Our gang symbol was the same symbol electric companies used to indicate <laughs> where to install a streetlight. <laughs> Our neighborhood was very well lit. <laughs> That's really so good. That, Thank you. That little piece right there started with that symbol on the ground, and it took took a good two months. Yeah, before I could I could feel comfortable making that a routine. So yes, it does require thought. Yeah, you just can't get up there and be silly. So how would you characterize your comedy? Is there like a certain style of comedy that you perform? It's, and I've always I, because of my training in the back in the classroom, I don't tell dirty jokes at all. Because that would not that get you fired? Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know, sure. In the class, sure. That's not good. so. Uh, I've just focused on just doing the comedy I've already d- always done, which is silly and and non-offensive and not trying to make a point or anything. Yeah. And do you usually perform around here, or do you travel? Well, I have met three professional comedians who have taken me under their wing. Uh, the first was Rod Reyes, who was. Uh, from New York city where he did stand-up comedy for years. He took me with him on, uh, uh, to do some, some professional performances. And then, uh, William Clifton, whose stage name is Will C. He founded a group called the veterans of comedy who are uh, military veterans who are also comedians. He took me under his wing. And also recently Michael Joyner, who is a Christian comedian, and these three guys, I mean, they performed nationwide. And for some reason, they have taken me with them 
you know, to do 15 minutes while they do an hour mm-hmm. uh, of comedy. And oh, I will great. always be grateful to them. But as a result, I have performed uh, in uh, Ohio, Kentucky, Indiana, Illinois, uh, Nebraska, Missouri, Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas, and uh, Colorado. But it was not, none of that's my doing. It's all these other, these other three comedians that have just dragged me along with them. Well, that's great. That's great. Yeah, there's a, um, I, I guess when you, you get to work with other comedians, so there's almost like a kind of a bonding, um, a fellowship there, isn't there? Well, yeah, especially if you're driving to a gig and it's, you know, eight hours away, you're going to have some time. Yeah, <laughs> D- Dave used to tell me some funny stories. Sometimes he'd, he'd have an annoying uh, companion that he'd have to drive, <laughs> drive, drive to North Dakota with or something, you know, but yeah. Um, for me, anyway, to have some sort of a creative outlet, and it's my uh, recovery that has definitely made that possible. I've always been kind of a creative type of a person, you know, but when I was drinking, that that was certainly stimmied. I, I mean, I, there was nothing I could do. Uh, and then for a long time in my recovery, it was putting my life back together. But once my life got back together, and that took a long time, once I got, kind of got together, I was able to focus on things that I really um, enjoy, you know, and the podcasting is what my, my great love is today, you know, um, meeting people like you and, uh, doing, doing this and trying to improve upon it all the time. You know, I would encourage anybody who's in recovery. Um, you know, you have a lot more time now that you're not drinking and using, and it's, it's nice to find a good use for that time that isn't necessarily, uh, involve, you know, work, but something you really enjoy. I think it's important. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When um, in my early sobriety, I described it as, uh, I got my peripheral vision back when I was bringing alcohol as a depressant. And I found out, uh, after I quit that I was actually had tunnel vision. I was always looking down, looking straight ahead. And uh, once I was able to get that depressant out of my system, it, I was looking up and looking to the side. It was very freeing experience. Yeah. You know, when I was drinking, of course I was young and my drinking period was a short period of time, but I didn't really have, I didn't have any friends really. I didn't, I wasn't really learning anything from other people. I wasn't getting any new information in my head. And that was one thing that I noticed that I really liked about um, getting involved in AA. And at that time when I was getting involved, there were other people that were like me in my age group. And so I was able to have friends do things, learn from them, and kind of help me with my growth. But that was a real important part of my recovery, I think, was just that social aspect. Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah, I I would go home, uh, go down to the basement and drink. That was my evening's entertainment. Yeah, I can relate to that. And I'm glad that we both have outlets outside of that today. So, Dave, Thank you again for coming on the podcast. It's been great getting to know you, and I look forward to getting to know you better as time goes on. Hopefully in the not-too-distant future, we'll be able to meet uh, face-to-face again. And who knows, maybe someday we can start one up in uh, in uh, your neck of the woods, too. Um, I don't know how well it would go, but you never know, you know. But you're right, the meetings are just like any other meeting. It's just that we don't open and close with a prayer. But other than that, um, you'll hear the, the same sort of talk that you would hear at any other kind of a meeting as far as this, the practical things that we do to stay sober and that social aspect as well. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you have Absolutely. any final thoughts, Dave? 
I really do not, other than to just thank you so much for inviting me to be part of this podcast. What you're doing, I think, is wonderful, and it, is, it has helped me, and hopefully we can help some others. Yeah, well, thank you. So, with that, I love this. <laughs> and that's it. That's another episode of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. It was uh, great to have you here, Dave. Thank you for joining me and uh, speaking with me. Um, we'll put Dave's uh, a link to Dave's website up on our show notes so that you can uh, visit his website. And uh, also, should you like to contribute to AA Beyond Belief, we could use the help. Uh, you can do that in a couple of ways. Our Patreon site, patreon.com slash Belief. Just sign up for a dollar or five dollars a month is great or more if you want to. And you can also donate at PayPal at paypal.me slash aabeyondbelief. Or just go to our website, aabeyondbelief.org, and click on the donate button. If you can't, that's fine. Uh, we just do this for the fun of it. And uh, But if you can, it helps a lot. So thanks, everybody. That's it. Bye-bye.